podcast. Hello, I'm Karen Shalou, Legal Liaison, here with Katherine Shanahan, CDFA. We're the co-founders of My Divorce Solution, a company whose mission is to change the way people get divorced by providing a different approach, financial clarity, and an online course to help couples develop a transparent plan that will optimize the outcome of their divorce. Each podcast, we sit down with professionals who provide insight and frank discussion on real people, real situations, and real divorce. Today, we're happy to welcome Colleen Kowal. Colleen is a relationship specialist. She believes that at the heart of most problems is a broken relationship. So after working with children and their families in the education system for 32 years, Colleen opened her private practice specializing in relationship therapy. She sees couples both wanting to save their marriage as well as those who want to end in the le their legal relationship in a way that doesn't destroy their children, yet brings insight into where and why their marriage fell apart. She offers weekend workshops for couples. She's been invited into the prestigious Amago international faculty as a clinical trainer. Colleen is married to her husband of 20 years and combined they have three children and two beautiful granddaughters. Welcome Colleen. Hi. Thank you for being here today to talk about the art of repairing. So I must say as a divorced mom, if I saw this topic as a workshop to attend, probably would pass right over it because really I wouldn't be interested in repairing. I'm headed for divorce. So, so, so why the topic? Why the title? Yeah, it's a it's a great question. Um, well, I think I what I would say is that it is an art to repair what's broken. That mm -hmm. it's not our nature. Um, our intuitive nature is to pull away, protect, defend, fight. Um, protect our children, protect our hearts. You know, I had a client yeah. this morning and he actually felt like you felt, Karen. I said, you know, I'm getting ready to do a podcast, The Art of Repairing. And he said, I don't want to repair. I'm getting divorced. Yeah. So it's really interesting. I mean, I, on the other hand, said, oh, I think of it differently. Like, how can I repair to be a better co-parent? I mean, I think yeah. you have the benefit of hearing divorce after divorce and broken hearts and, and the hurt. And that's why perhaps you're more open to repairing. But I think when you're in it personally and up front, the initial reaction is to not repair. And sometimes it's actually to get revenge. And yeah. I'm going to hurt you back and I'm not going to let you hurt me again. And so all that is a very normal reaction. But what I like to do is help parents see um, the bigger, longer game mm -hmm. is uh, one, when you get divorced, it doesn't mean it's over. It's um, really a new beginning. Mm -hmm. And um, what they're not seeing is that they're gonna have birthday parties and graduations and weddings and birth of new- And children. And, right. And, <laughs> And having walked in the divorce shoes, I, I was a child of divorce. And um, so I know that side of it. Then I also had, I was divorced at 34 with a four-year-old. 
and um, feeling like I was washed up. Nobody would want me. Um, it was a, a very sad time in my life. And then having years in the school system, working with children and seeing the impact of divorce on children and parents that couldn't repair convinces me 100% that it is worth repairing if you put your children first. I'm think what, that's a yeah. big what does repairing actually entail? Because even now, eight years past my divorce, I don't know that it's necessarily good that we have to go, or necessary that we have to go to the children's, grandchildren's birthday parties together, or that, I don't know that that's better for our children, which is interesting. So what, where would, where would a repair end? Like what, what does it bring you to in a relationship? Well, I think that's a, a great question because I think it really depends on the couple and the situation. Sometimes a repair isn't possible. If someone's using substances and um, they're not healthy enough to repair the relationship, then you can't. It can't be one-sided. Mm -hmm. um, you can do your part and set a good example for your children. And um, But for example, in that situation, if someone's abusing substances and they're not willing or either able to repair, then you can, instead of sending the message, your dad ruined my life, and saying bad things about the parent, you can begin the repair process with your child mm -hmm. so that you can say, you know, I know your dad's probably doing the best he can right now, and he's not the man I married, and um, I pray for him, or I, I wish the best for him, but we have to learn how to cope within this situation without blaming him, shaming him, because it really helps no one. Uh, so I think it's really very situation dependent, but I would say eight years after a divorce, most people never have closure after a marriage ends. That's why the repair process is almost like, why would we be at the same birthday party? But what they don't realize is that someday you are going to be in a situation or your child will be in a situation where they feel torn and their loyalty is torn. And that's a painful place for children to live uh, where they have to feel like, if I invite dad to the wedding, then mom's gonna be mad, who's gonna walk me down the aisle, like all of those things. I mean, it's, it's a lot of pain for the children. It may not be in your best interest, um, but I think there's a second part to that. So if a, one of the parties have the closure that they need, how does the other party repair a relationship? Do both parties have to engage to repair? I think to truly repair a relationship, um, that would be the optimal situation. Um, but I do think that one parent, as I said, can lead an example through their own work. And I think the second part that's really a high motivator for people that I talk to is finding out you know, this marriage is broken. We don't want to reconcile, but where did we go wrong? And what was it about me that I brought to this relationship or didn't bring? Um, for example, speaking my mind the whole time, I didn't really ask for what I needed or I didn't set boundaries. What was it about me that I brought to this relationship that I don't want to carry to the next one? 
Yeah, so do you, Colleen, not to interrupt there, but do you need that other person to, your spouse, to engage in the art of repairing? Or is that something you can work on on your own with an eye towards repairing what may not have went well in the marriage so that moving forward you're more whole or you're repairing yourself? Well, I believe that um, partners are great mirrors for us. Mm. And so without the other partner there, I know that I have limited information to help that person. Rarely are people able to self-identify all of the things that they may have allowed or, or didn't, weren't willing to risk. Can I stop here? Wow. It's interesting. Wow. What do you mean exactly by a partner is a mirror of us? So, <clears throat> If you've been single all your life and you've had no one to tell you that you interrupt a lot because your friends aren't going to be willing to take that risk, right? They're just not. I think I was told that. <laughs> a good friend Why would do that. that. <laughs> you might need a little imago therapy. No. I think that's, but that's, that's a partner. That's a true partner because a husband would say that. A best friend would say that. Love that. A sister may say that. But what happens is typically a person who comes into therapy by themselves going through a divorce can use the therapist office to vent, dump, blame, shame. And that's not a bad thing to do. We have to get all that out. But the other part of it that I think is critical is where did it go wrong? And what can I learn from this relationship so that number one, I cannot repeat the pattern because how many people, 60% of second marriages fail. 85% uh -huh. <clears throat> um, of marriages that begin in affairs fail. So how do I take this new great love and not wreck it? Yeah. Um, so if you don't do this process first, I think you're really not protecting the next relationship, even if you don't have it, because you're still bringing your same behaviors and also your bitterness mm -hmm. um, with you. I love that because in our phase one, it's our financial portrait, which is commonly known as the discovery process in, in divorce. And when we provide that safe, judgment-free space, a lot of that comes out. Um, I'm not proud of, that I don't know anything about our finances. I'm not proud that I never asked my spouse, what is a retirement asset? Um, the, the other spouse is often saying, that's my pension, you didn't work. So all of this breakdown from the marriage, what, whether it be financial insecurity or just what their roles were defined of when they were married and the fact that they, they, they don't like that or the fact that when it went wrong was maybe when they got married, the communication really just wasn't there from the beginning. So the feelings that they want today, they feel like we're never there. So all of this comes out, which of course we love because I feel like that's where the, if they can repair in that moment, they can make financial um, decisions with more clarity because they're letting yeah. go of some For themselves. Yeah, we, we do say that, that you, you, when you come to My Divorce Solution, you learn how to speak a new language of sorts. But I also really like what you said about just testing or, or going to therapy, even if you can't really see it, um, 
reconciliation. So I remember way back when I was going through my divorce, my ex begged me to go to counseling. And in my head, I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going back to you. I'm done. I've tried. I have to stay on the path to be strong enough to leave. And so I thought if I went to therapy, then I would get weak again and not be strong for myself and my children. But what you're saying is you can go with the attitude of learning and decide if you want to reconcile or not, but that shouldn't be a reason not to go to therapy. I think that's what I'm hearing you say. Oh, yes, absolutely. Because that, what you might have learned um, also about yourself, but also there's like a forgiveness that can happen with all that, like an understanding that when, this is a two-part answer. So the, the possibility of truly kind of forgiving your partner for who they didn't show up as in your marriage, because when you started out, nobody starts out thinking this is going to end in divorce. Right. Everybody starts out hopeful, loving, committed, and then another podcast for us to discuss why we fall out of love. It's a chemical yeah. neurological response that I can tell you more about a different time, but, but we were in love, but we forget about that initial contact. And that's why sometimes I have people re-romanticize about the beginning. What was it like then to help soften their heart, to remember, I loved you. And then maybe we had children together, like you were in a hospital room when I gave birth with the life we created, and now we're going to be enemies. Does that make sense to anyone? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It doesn't no. make sense to me for that person to be my enemy. Um, however, you know, it, there is a time when it, relationships expire. There's a person who maybe people outgrow each other. Oh, I don't like that, that phrase, but they have just spent so long on parallel paths and that, that connection has been ruptured too many times that there's really no trust or respect left to save. Mm -hmm. that how can we co-create a new relationship that involves respect and trust, but not about fidelity, not about money, but about how, how do we raise our children and be respectful mm -hmm. of the fact that we're both the parents who, and we created these little beings and, mm -hmm. and we'd like to do the best for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe not about money on a day-to-day -day basis and a disagreement of how to spend it, but if you're approaching the divorce process, you have to be in a space where you can discuss assets and money and what's good for each other and negotiate so that you don't end up in front of a judge. So that, yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is I'm working with a couple now who is already divorced. They wouldn't come to you. They both had to have their own lawyer mm -hmm. and they're both reporting how unfair their settlement was, but they yes. were not talking about money while they were married. They didn't know how mm -hmm. they would not talk about money during their divorce because they each had lawyers talking about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now they're divorced, they're actually considering reconciliation, and they still don't know how to talk about money. Oh my. So, so to your point, absolutely, you have, you have to learn how to do that somewhere along the line. And who better to help you than a group like you, who have mm -hmm. a process to take people through it, you mm -hmm. hold their hands. Right. 
Well, it's um, even a little bit more than that because money is all relative. And if you come to me with a portfolio that says you have $600 or you have $6,000 or you have 600,000 or you have 6 million, to me, it's a number, right? So I can adjust the relativity of that number to anyone's lifestyle, but the person living that can't. Mm -hmm. To them, the $6 million person normally is just spending and not paying attention. So that number really means nothing to them. Maybe the $6,000 person, it means more to because they're more um, aware of that money fluctuating greatly, Yeah. right? So what we establish here is how will this number on this paper affect your lifestyle? And what will your decisions financially be after post-divorce? Mm. And what will the long-term effect of that be? Rather than here's your assets, you're getting half and you're getting half. And here's the income you're getting. And that's a great agreement and see you later. Because that person leaves not understanding the impact. And so their relationship is still bad with money. Right. You know, so right. it doesn't help them. And then they come back, like you said, and they still don't have a good relationship um, with it. So they're still confused. And if they don't get a good relationship, all the work that you're doing will still boil down to a bad money relationship. And there is financial infidelity. So that trust will break again. Um, so it's not good. Yeah. So we love that you just come and you understand. And if you're going to make a compromise, understand what that compromise will mean to you and your family right. and then be okay with it because yeah. then you can heal, then you can repair. And if the two of you are transparent from the beginning, financially transparent and give each other the room for the understanding to set in, then I believe they can repair a relationship moving forward without the financial concern. You just said two big words. So the first word you said was impact. So we have intention and we have impact. So my intentions can be pure and my impact can be horrible. So we have a miss. What you're trying to do with them is make their money situation, their financial picture, you know, their intentions to get really clear so that the impact is a fair impact. It may not be what each of them want ideally, but it's, it's fair regarding the process of divorce. And what I find so often is, is that when people are lawyered up, um, if you haven't watched the movie, A Marriage Story, watch it. it tells us yes. Um, we gotta watch that. Lawyer up, it, what happens is that they miss that opportunity to really explore what they really have and what you, the second word you said is understanding. Because when lawyers are talking, like if we're getting divorced, I don't understand why you think that you keeping the retirement is fair and I keep the house. I just hear it through a lawyer's lens. And that's where the miscommunication also, it was already poor and then it's just driven home. And then the bitter resentment right. just, it's, and it's not. And, you know, also at the beginning of a divorce, more often than not, there's one party or the other that's farther down the road. And yeah. so they're coming in. I want one spouse is I want this. I need it now. And the other spouse is in shock and panic. Right. And so going through our process does allow for us to say, this person is a little bit behind you. Their emotions are valid. They're just not the space in the space that you are right now. So let's give them time to 
to get engaged, to get their emotion out, just like you had to get your emotion out so that you can have really good conversations. Because to your point, when you're lawyered up, when I prep a client to go to an attorney, I have to spend a lot of time with, you can't talk about he said, she said, this happened, I feel bad. You have to talk about the facts because that's really all that you're gonna get at the table. So they're there to help you get this divided in the court system and emotions do not, are not factored in. And then so, on the flip side to that, you know, one spouse is not emotionally, you know, I always say they're imbalanced, but if one is down mm -hmm. here and, and this one's ready to go, you can't stay down here without them becoming more aggressive. So we do try to balance the other side as well. Right. You know, you may need to slow down, but you need, may need to pick it up a little bit just mm -hmm. to keep you moving forward. Um, and it, it does become very beneficial if they both understand that you'll help them both balance out. Well, that's yeah. one of the reasons I truly refer people to you because I feel like your sensitivity to the idea that somebody is not is still in shock mm -hmm. and somebody else is ready to move on. Without that, you couldn't have success. You couldn't have repair. And so, you the going back to the repair process, really, what does that mean? It doesn't mean like kiss and make up. It doesn't mean let's get back together. It doesn't mean that what you did was okay. It does not mean any of that. But when um, they're in my office and they're able to explore how we started, where we got lost, what, what got in the way of us being close, sometimes it's an affair, but that really is the symptom. Podcast too. The the affairs are often symptoms of something, not the cause. Um, when people can really have a deep understanding of why this unravel, why did what what broke us down, then they're able to really breathe through it and be able to move to the other places that they need to go. But the real repair is in not I'm sorry but in understanding the pain and the impact my decisions and behavior have had on you. And for that, I am deeply sorry. But if I don't understand it, I just feel the blame and shame. So I'm going to defend myself. I'm going mm -hmm. to make it about you. Well, if you hadn't gained 30 pounds the first year we were married, <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to take ownership of my own stuff I'm going to blame you unless I process this in a safe place. Well, I find it interesting because we have a lot of um, women that harbor um, guilt, but they have soft spots for their husbands who happen to have manipulative behavior or have controlled the assets. And even though they may have wronged them with an affair or a symptom which caused the divorce or, you know, cause the, um, the start of the divorce, when it gets to financials and their bad relationship with the financials, and they, they think they're repairing the relationship for co-parenting or moving forward by allowing that manipulation to continue. But that's very different than repairing. Absolutely. And how do you explain me feeling sympathetic yeah. or because of this manipulative behavior that they're so used to 20 year relationships of this behavior when that other side uses it as the way I'm going to take care of you, the way that we're going to be able to co-parent together, because I'm always going to take care of this. 
how do you get them to see that's not really repairing? That's still continuing a behavior that led you to this very spot probably. Well, I think what I try to talk about with couples is how effective is your behavior? Like we talked about intention and impact. So lady, woman who is being manipulated again, um, but in a different context now within the divorce, what is your intention? Let's get clear about that. So what is it that you're trying to achieve? You, do you, because is she manipulating to keep the money? Or she has a secret hope that if she goes along and plays along, she can get him back. I mean, I think it depends. Get her to be real clear about what her intention is because people are not always conscious about their behavior and what's behind the behavior because quite simply, our belief system informs our thoughts, our thoughts inform our behaviors and our behaviors will inform a consequence. So a lot of people operate just on their feelings and that's what you're kind of talking about that they're skipping a step that there is a thought first before the feeling and that thought comes from a belief. And so I try to get to their belief and understand somewhere I believe he really loves me and that he doesn't really want this. I believe that. And then, then I can work with that. Um, but until I understand the belief, I don't really, the behavior does not always explain That's the belief. That's so interesting. So the belief informs the thought. Informs the thought. Thought leads to a feeling. Thought leads to a feeling. My feeling will lead to a behavior. My feeling will lead to a behavior. And there's always a consequence and for behavior. There's a consequence. That is profound. Wow. It's not mine. It's cognitive behavioral <laughs> therapy, David Beck. But if you can look it up, it's called the, if you look up a cognitive triangle, it will very quick visual Pinterest or Google. And it really helps you understand that our actual belief system, like I'm not enough, I'm not worthy, is driving a lot of what you're describing. Right. And that my fear is keeping me in this manipulative pattern. Which in itself wow. is reason to go to therapy. Whether you're repairing, you think you're repairing your relationship with your ex or just simply repairing yourself and your own thought pattern. Right. I mean, really understanding our, our core belief system is, um, it's integral to our mental health. And I don't know if you saw that the Surgeon General has just announced that we have um, a national epidemic of loneliness. Yeah. It's three out of five people in America are lonely. Wow. And when you have divorce, it's such a lonely place. You know, even though you know a lot of other people are divorced, yours feels so painfully. Mm -hmm. A lot of people stay married because they're afraid to be lonely. Yeah. Yet they're lonely in their marriage. This is not my quote either. It's from my friend, Maya Coleman. She said, people would rather live in a predictable hell than have a taste of heaven. Wow. wow. That's true. That's crazy. I know. But you know, the same belief, you know, I'm so caught in this because first of all, I love quotes and sayings, but the cogn cognitive behavior, you know, if I bring it back to money and the financial portrait, so many yeah. of the women, again, I'm going to, I hate to say it, um, women who have bad relationships with money, you know, their whole marriage, they were told that they don't know how to budget. They don't understand what a pension is. 
you just take care of the kids. You don't have to worry about this. I'm always going to take care of it. So I think when they come into the divorce process, that is what they're believing. Oh, of course. So they're, they're again, which is why I love that we've kind of flip-flopped the process and begin with the financial portrait so that you can now learn this, understand it, and make clearer decisions. Yeah. Well, when you just said the word, her relationship with money, when I you started with my introduction that I believe at the heart of every problem is a broken relationship. And mm -hmm. let's face it, we need a, rela a healthy relationship with money. We need a healthy relationship with sex. And they are the two things that people have the hardest time talking about. Yep. And so now in divorce, you add the stress of all that and the fear. It's, it, there's so much of um, our reptilian brain that gets hijacked that we are not thinking rationally. And that's why people say, well, just have my lawyer do it. Just call, my, my lawyer's going to call your lawyer because they feel like they can't, which is another mm -hmm. belief system. It's right. a belief system, right? You know, yeah. the couple that you talked about earlier that have um, or maybe attempting to reconcile, I think, again, for them, the first step is to come in and understand what that decision they made, what the impact of the decision that they made in their marital settlement agreement is and how it could change and what not to focus on so they can truly just focus on themselves. Because I believe that every married couple should have a financial portrait as well. Oh, yeah. It's just a clearer understanding and it sets the ground that this is not a financial relationship that we're really in here. So we aren't lonely yeah. mm -hmm. that way. Well, I think so many people are afraid to look at their money because whether they're happily married or um, struggling because they fear of what they're going to find out. It's like the guy or the woman that doesn't go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to go and get that test because I don't know what the other side's going to be. So I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go until I have mm -hmm. yeah, a yeah. lot of people with their uh, yeah. budgets post-divorce and pre-divorce. Right. I'm sure you see a lot of realizations on their faces. Yeah. When, when they first come to me, yeah, they just want to throw the papers across the desk <laughs> and I usually push them right back and say, okay, we're going to do this together. And the, the fear is uh, palpable on their face and I get to talk with them. It's a, it's a really great experience to watch them grow because I get to empower them and I say, you get to become the CEO of your own life. And I promise you in a year, you're going to find some um, accomplishment. You're gonna feel accomplished by managing your money, your budget. You get to decide where every single penny is spent or saved or otherwise. And for them to understand that concept is fabulous. Because yeah. again, when they just want someone to take care of it, I was at um, an attorney visit just last week with a client and the, the couple had reached an impasse. So it's time to get the attorneys involved. We take their financial portrait and present it. Um, and she made the remark, oh, I'm so glad I can just give this to you. And I told her later, no, you actually need to be more involved now because you have to be able to help your attorney understand what's best for you based on what you learned here because you know now. So it was very interesting because she wanted to go back to that old emotion of, I just want someone to take care of it for me. Yeah. But then she quickly got back on board and said, okay, I'm, I'm re-engaged. But that, there was that moment of, oh, he's going to take care of it. 
and um, it's real. It is a learned trait to be able to do this for yourself. So what, what, what made me think right away, I'm so glad you're doing that and not me because I would have gone too deep with that. I would have said, you know, in my own mind, as you were talking about her, I would have said, and where I got that idea that I can't handle money began when? Like it's mm. the earliest memory because there's typically an early memory about money or math or something where mm -hmm. some sort of belief that right. I can't handle that. And if I kind of am saying that, like I can't jump off the high dive, like mm -hmm. I can't do that. Well, you can, you may not want to, but at least make it a choice. Right. You can say, I won't jump off the high <laughs> dive, but, but, but at least own it. Like, but let's right. find out where it began. Mm -hmm. well, I had that, an interesting conversation with the client as well, because a support number that she will be receiving is going down because his income has gone down. And it went down and it's valid that it went down. And she was like, well, what am I supposed to do? I said, well, let's think about it. If you were still married and your husband's income went down by this amount of money, what would you do? You would get another job, I guess. Yeah, that's exactly what I would do. So let's shift your mind shift now. If right. your support number's going down, then maybe you have to get another job or something yeah. different. But it's her saying, oh, okay. It's realizing that you can do this on your own you can mm -hmm. do this and you will do this um, and, and you're empowered enough to do this um, yes. again, you know it's a scary process going through divorce yeah. on your own and you're, you're what you're giving them is so important which is empowerment which is part of the repair process is really kind of owning your story as you said i mean you i think you said the author of your financial responsibility what did you say karen what did you call that the you're ceo of your own life Right. CEO of your own life. And, and I'm working with a women's support group and we're, I'm taking them through a book called Rising Strong, which is wonderful oh, for I've anybody. You know the book? Mm-hmm. Great. No, um, yeah. It. So it's, it's about a process of, you have a face down moment. It's called the reckoning. And then you rumble and you try to find every easier way to go through this process, if whatever that face down moment is. And then you then move to a revolution, which is what you're describing, which is being the CEO of your financials. And mm -hmm. what I say to the women that comes from Brene Brown is that we get um, to be the author of mm -hmm. our lives, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of this passive, you know, uh, victim or a villain, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. so, uh, I'll have to read that. It's, it's a fabulous book. And we're so grateful that we get to refer clients to you, um, who, because we don't, we don't have the time, obviously, nor the expertise, more importantly, to go through all of that with them. And that is such an important process or something to do during a transition, um, because if you don't keep yourself strong and healthy emotionally through the transitions, you stand not to fare well on the other side. And so while we're getting, we're getting them through logistically, we're so grateful to have you to support them um, emotionally. It is yeah, certainly reassuring to be able to sit across the table and say, well, you need to go talk to Colleen about that. <laughs> grateful to not handle legal or financial matters because I am um, high expertise. That's a good point because financially speaking, 
great. It's all good. But legally speaking, we're so happy that we have good attorneys yeah. that we know when we need them and we can say, at this right. moment, you need to go get this attorney for yeah. your situation. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, you know, it's what, what I like about um, what you do is you, it's, a, it's a specialty because um, in my work, we call it out of scope of practice. You know, and mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, I'm not a specialist in a lot of things. And so I refer people to other people who are because mm -hmm. I want to get help. And yeah. uh, that's what you're saying about when it's time to refer to an attorney, you know when that is. And yeah. that's really critical. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It takes a village and there's a lot of really good professionals out there who do care enough to uh, want to do the right thing and want to really advocate for the best interest of their clients, whether it's the couple as a whole or a client separately. So, mm -hmm. so what do you, what would you like every person listening today to remember, Colleen? What is the takeaway um, from this specific podcast, The Art of Repairing? You're facing divorce, you're going through a divorce, it's really, really hard. Some days it's hard to get out of bed. Um, you don't know what the next text from your spouse is going to say. What can someone walk away with today? It's a big question. I guess as I sit here thinking about that, what I, what I really believe is that if you're willing to look, you know, a, an unexamined life never changes. And so if you're willing to look at your marriage the way you would look at a mistake in the past, you know, like uh, a failed financial decision and reflect. And then really examine yourself more than your partner. Let your mm. partner examine himself or herself. But if you can really look at yourself with the help of a professional, uh, I think you can learn a lot and that you can find peace and and a resolution after divorce rather than the big bag that people carry for years and years and years and regret and anger, which is you know, known to cause disease. Um, it affects our immune system. It's very unhealthy. It's not just mental. We are mind, body, spirit. Um, mm -hmm. And our bodies are being affected by what we're carrying that we no longer need. So I would say repairing is healing. It's powerful. It's Thank you for being with us. It's never too late to repair. Good. I feel like on some level we're always repairing. Well, thank so. you. Yeah. Thank you, Colleen. Thank um, you. And we hope to have you back soon on those other topics. Um, and in the meantime, everybody have a great day. Have a beautiful day. Bye. Bye.